0: The volume. Oral Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. FanDuel is the best. They're America's number one sports book. It's so easy to use, safe and secure. What more do you need to hear here? There's fast payouts, too. As quick as two hours. What a turnaround. And there's so many different bet types as well. The same game parlay bets, live betting, player props, futures. There's risk-free bets and the same game parlay bets, enhanced odds markets. There's so much more. It's fantastic. It will not let you down. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1 800 gambler or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1 800 270 7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Tennessee Redline 1 800 889 9889 in Tennessee or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Guys, welcome to Oral Sessions, the sessions as I like to call it now. It feels so good to be back talking some trash. Not all trash talk. Sometimes it's just a nice conversation. Actually, most of the time it's a nice conversation. Sometimes it's a sprinkling of talking trash. Who knows? Day by day, case by case, episode by episode. Today, I am joined by the biggie, Eric Bischoff. Uh, It was really cool to get to chat to him because honestly, I've not had that many interactions with Eric. When he joined SmackDown and I was there uh, as part of WWE, obviously, we were kind of like ships passing in the night, so to speak. You know, I was busy doing my thing. He was busy doing his thing. And we just didn't really get to interact all that much. So it was really cool to be able to have him on here and just get to, uh, to have some cool conversations with him about, you know, his thoughts on WWE, his thoughts on AEW, his thoughts on returning to WWE, what that whole process was like, what production meetings can be like, what working with Vince can be like. You know, checking off all those boxes that you guys want to hear, but then also just delving into like other things he gets into. Like this man is a part of so many different things. He's got all these different interesting branches, uh, you know, whether it's being a butcher, a veterinary assistant, uh, being a, a dog trainer, into hunting, doing video games. He has done it all. And to me, that's what makes like a well-rounded, interesting human being. It's not just like one thing. He brings so many different things to the table and is just living a beautiful life out in Wyoming. His house or the room he was in looked fantastic. We need to do a Cribs episode with Eric Bischoff. I will happily host it. Take my ass out to Wyoming. All right, guys, here it is. Let's get into it. Here is Eric Bischoff. How are you doing? What's going on? Your man cave Is that even a man cave or is that just like the house? Because it looks stunning.
1: Well, first it was called the dog house because it originally, before I added onto it, was a large dog kennel because I used to raise and train hunting dogs. Well, I got out of that and looked at that thing and I went, huh, that would make a great bunkhouse. So it's a separate living quarters on our property aside from the house, but this is where I hang out most of the time.
0: You have had so many jobs. I feel like, I mean, at every turn you have done it all. You have such a Insane and impressive and interesting resume. I was like running through it today, from like being a butcher to you worked in in, in veterinary stuff at some point. Is that true?
1: Yeah, I don't know where you find that. You got to be careful with a little bit of that. But what, what Wikipedia just,
0: is not always reliable source.
1: That was such a nice way of saying I'm basically unemployable. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: <laughs> I think it's great though, I, and I want to dive into all of those things that you've been able to do. But I'll just start where we should start is, of course, at WWE, because the last time you and I were able to have any kind of an interaction would have been when you were brought in to SmackDown. What was that experience like for you? Uh, I know it was, you know, fairly brief, and you and I really didn't have much interactions then. What was that like? What what happened?
1: What was it like? It was surreal just from the get-go because I had never contemplated getting back into the wrestling business again. I was perfectly content and satisfied with looking at my career in my rearview mirror, as they say. And then just through a series of coincidences, primarily my relationship with Bruce Prichard and some changes that were concurrently going on in WWE, I got a call one day from Bruce and said, hey, things are changing here. There's a new approach to things and it's completely different and we need someone to on this role, would you be okay if I threw your name in the hat? And I thought, well, sure, you know, not really seriously believing that that would we'll go anywhere, but also, you know, deep down inside, I was hoping it would because all of a sudden, you know, what was in my rear view mirror was quite possibly right in front of me again. And it was really exciting from that respect. And then I had a couple of meetings with Vince and the team. And next thing I knew, I was on, my, <laughs> I packed up my truck and moved to Stanford, Connecticut, y'all.
0: Yeah. Giddy up. Look out, Stamford, coming in hot. What a place to move to. What was it like packing up and going to Stamford? Cause it's not a great spot to land. I personally don't love Stanford. I know there's some beautiful spots in Greenwich and like around Connecticut, but what was that like uh, making that move so far out East?
1: That was one of the hardest parts of it. You know, um, at least initially, <laughs> we'll <laughs> talk about that.
0: <laughs> As that list continues to grow.
1: I live in a pretty unique place. I've I worked most of my adult life for the ability to live here. I really love Wyoming. I love the space around me. I love the mountains. I love, I love everything about Wyoming. I've had a house here since 1998. And the longer I'm here, the more I love it. So literally within a three-week window, going from sitting out on my deck in my robe with my dog drinking coffee in the morning to waking up in a corporate apartment in Stanford was a kind of a culture shock for me. Here's where I kind of screwed up from the get-go. I didn't anticipate how hard that would be for me because I've always been really adaptable by virtue of the fact that I've had so many jobs I've had to learn to be. And I've always known that about, or I believe that about myself until I got to Stanford. And it it was really more of a challenge for me, at least initially, than anything. It's just getting used to being in a city and not having access to the things that I realize now how much I really, really enjoy and are important to me.
0: It's really funny when that happens because I've always considered myself very adaptable as well. I'm like, I think I could thrive in any situation, throw me into it. And I think that I can figure it out. But um, John and I lived in Las Vegas for the past six plus years and I just could not adapt to it no matter how much. And that's, you know, quite a long time to not adapt to something. And now we just moved back to Cincinnati. Well, John's from here originally, but uh, new to me, but still being like closer on the East Coast, back in the Eastern time zone, back in like a little more of a city, walkable city vibe. I'm like, holy crap, does it ever feel good to live somewhere that you want to live? You really like take that for granted. If you, you get used to certain things and you don't really realize how important that can be.
1: That was really one of my big takeaways from that experience. Um, I'm, I I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really grateful for the experience and there's nobody in WWE that I worked with that. I don't have an immense amount of respect. Well, there's one or two, but for the most part, I have a lot of respect for everybody there. I'm just kidding. Um, I can't think of anybody. I don't have respect for quite honestly, but I really underestimated just how set in my ways I become now because of that, I'm way more. It would take a lot to get me away from home. Now. It's not about the money anymore. It's not about anything else anymore. If I can find a way like I'm doing now, you know, speaking to you and doing my podcasts and you know, different things that I do from home, bam, I'm the happiest man on earth. But if it means I got to get on a plane and go somewhere, (sighs) I'd rather chew off my own life. Honestly,
0: I know not being on the road now. I'm like, Oh my God, the idea of getting on a plane and going to the airport sounds God awful. I do not miss that. I don't miss that at all. So your time in WWE, when you came back for SmackDown, what, what was kind of your takeaway? And, you know, Bruce Pritchard saying to you, Hey, everything here is uh, different. We're trying to change things. Did it feel different to you?
1: You know, Renee, I'd, I'd never been in management before my previous experience with WWE, although it was for three or four years, whatever it was, I was a talent. I'd fly in on Sunday night, I'd do Monday night raw, I'd get up Tuesday morning, I'd be home Tuesday afternoon, and there would be no communication usually during the week unless it was something really unique. So that was easy for me at that time. So I didn't know what, you know, things were like in the office. I didn't know what a difference would look like because I had no point of reference, right? You know, I will say, and Bruce was sincere and he was honest, there was an attempt and I'm sure some of the things that were going on in terms of restructuring and reorganizing creative and creating a SmackDown director and a Raw director, some some of those initiatives are probably still part of the WWE creative business model today. So I'm not suggesting that they completely abandoned what they were working towards. That would be a radical difference from what it had been, whatever that was. But it was it was tough, man. You know the people there. You know the culture there. You know the guy at the top? Probably better than I do. You probably work closer with him than I did in some respects, uh, or for at least for a longer period of time. But change isn't easy, especially when you've got somebody that is such a stickler for control. Very hard to change things when you've got a guy that's writing the checks, so to speak, calling all the shots. Hard to get that guy to change. So some of it, I'm sure, worked. Some of it didn't. But I'm grateful for the opportunity to try.
0: And I feel like the word that you use of like the attempt, I feel like there's always that attempt for change. You know, it always felt like they were on the cusp of like, we've got to change this. We want to try this new thing, you know, try to throw in some more pop culture references. These are the type of wrestlers that we're looking for. This is what we want our broadcasters to be like. There's always this feel of change in the air, but I feel like it's sort of a non-committal change because everyone always knows that we're essentially going to revert back to what the regular system is, which as it always is, is whatever Vince wants. It's hard to get that, that change to really happen and to really stick as much as you can bring in new people and you try these new ideas out. It can just be super, super hard to get changes truly implemented, it feels.
1: I agree. We're basically saying the same thing from two different perspectives. And I think television needs to change, especially episodic television that's on 52 weeks a year, particularly when you've got the, the sheer volume, five hours in prime time two of those hours on a major terrestrial network. You know, that's a lot of content. And that's part of the challenge, I think, is WWE has become a victim in many respects of their own success, massive global success. But because they're servicing that master global appetite, they've got to keep moving fast. They got to move fast. And I think there's always an urgency when you try to keep up with how television audiences are changing, how the competitive landscape is changing. And when you're faced with the sheer volume of content that WWE produces and just the natural evolution of the audience and the entertainment that it searches for, it's tough to actually get anything done. Because in order to really affect a change and determine whether it's a good or bad change is you have to give it time. It's not like flipping a switch. You can't walk into a dark room, flip on a switch and go, oh, I can see everything now. Sometimes you got to let the audience adapt to the change in order to register whether it's a good change or not.
0: Absolutely. It seems like there's that knee jerk reaction if something doesn't instantly stick that it's back to the original model, Um, which, yeah, it sucks when you have, especially when you know that it is a good idea and has some legs or something that could, you know, get a little momentum behind it. Um, What were some of the ideas that you wanted to bring to the table to SmackDown?
1: You know, I didn't go in with a lot of what people would consider creative ideas. And I told this to Vince, you know, before I agreed to come on board or he agreed to hire me, I should say is I hadn't been watching the product much. I drop in every once in a while, like I still do. I probably watch it a little bit more now because I find myself being asked questions about current product and I feel like knucklehead when I don't know anything. So I'll pick out certain things that are topical and I'll tune in to see how they're progressing. And I didn't even do that back then. Every once in a while, if there was nothing else on and I was in the right mood. I'd drop in on wrestling for 20 minutes or a half an hour and I'd bail out and go do something else. So I didn't go in with a lot of, Hey, what if we have a match between this guy and this guy? And what if that match leads to rest? I didn't come nothing like that. But one of the things that I was that I am disappointed in myself is that I really think what's missing. And this goes for WWE and everybody else that's producing professional wrestling for content is the de-emphasis of story at a time when the audience is watching So much great, compelling story and great story structure and great characters on so many other platforms. I mean, scripted entertainment is probably more successful now than it's ever been. And wrestling, rather than gravitating towards a more sophisticated storytelling structure, not an angle that turns into a wrestling match, because that's what wrestling does. That's what wrestling's, well, almost always done. Every once in a while, they'll stumble into a good story that'll really resonate, but it's more by accident than design. And I think that if wrestling today would reemphasize and introduce a more sophisticated storytelling formula, and that was—and I told this, here's what I see, where the opportunity lies. The audience is getting smaller and smaller for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is the stories suck. They're just not stories. There's no structure to them beginning and middle and end is like thrown together haphazardly. That's not how stories are generally created. And they weren't when I was there last time. And I don't think they are anywhere else. There's a way to do it. And that's what I'm disappointed myself in is I, I wasn't able to play the game or I wasn't able to manage myself well enough to be there long enough to really try to affect that change.
0: Okay. So what do you mean by that? Of Like the way that you managed yourself, what would you have done differently or should have done differently?
1: I've had a lot of time to think about this. <laughs> and, <laughs> Good. And, 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 you know, partly because I get asked that a lot and I have to, it's forced me to think about it. And here's where I fucked up. I went into WWE overly concerned about the way people perceive me. And by that, I mean, not as not me, not people that, you know, I meet on the street, but, but in a wrestling environment, there's been so much narrative about, how heavy-handed I can be and difficult at times, which, you know, some of that's true. I, I don't deny it. But it was, it's been way blown out of proportion. And it was really important to me. This is my error in judgment. It was more important to me to fit in to the system and eventually try to implement my ideas and the things that I wanted to do. I don't think that's what Vince wanted. Now, looking back on it, I think, what if I would have gone in there and been the kind of alpha executive we all know Vince likes? And I could have done that because it's not alien to my nature to be very aggressive and focused. And sometimes it rubs people the wrong way.
0: That's such a catch 22, though, because I mean, I get where you're coming from with that, because I mean, a big part of the wrestling culture is being able to fit in people that don't fit in. They get booted as well. So, I mean, you're, you're kind of damned if you do damned, if you don't, that if you do go against the grain I, yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of shooting your shot. There's times that I think about that too. I'm like, man, I like, you know, even when I look back at my time on commentary and it wasn't a thing that I enjoyed and I wish that I had had a better relationship with Vince or more of a relationship with Vince, but at times I was just like, I kind of just want to like skirt by and I don't want to have these conversations. Cause I don't feel like he wants to have these conversations with me that I wish that I had kind of extended that olive branch a little bit more, put myself out there more like knocking on his door and going to see him and talking to him and grill and all that. But it can be really hard to get Vince's ear. And I don't know if you felt that way when you were there being brought in and more of that executive role and being someone that, you know, obviously you'd be more familiar with coming in, but did you feel like it was difficult getting FaceTime with Vince?
1: No. (laughs) In fact, I had way more of it than I wanted to.
0: my condolences. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no. And I, and look, I like Vince. Yeah, I, I do mean, too. we're not like, we're not like, let's go out to dinner friends, right? We're not ride or die friends. None of that. But I have a lot of respect for Vince and I really disappointed myself that I didn't manage myself better to get more of an opportunity to work with him. Here's where I made my mistake though. Cause it is a catch 22, except I knew going in based on not what I learned firsthand about Vince. I competed with the guy, right? I kind of knew what, was about from that perspective. Everything I've ever heard about Vince is he just wants you to come in and take control. He wants you to take ownership. He wants to be surrounded by aggressive people who approach their business in an aggressive way. That's who he is. Of course, he's going to want somebody just like him or as close to him or his approach to things as possible. And I went in taking the, uh, okay, I'm just going to work my way into the system and when the time is right. And by the way, It would take me at least six months or more to really get to understand what my assets were, really get to understand the writers and what some were really good at and some weren't that good at. So you're not putting them into situations that they're probably going to fail at because you're just handing them assignments as opposed to really nurturing them and helping guide them into the types of scenes and writing that they're most successful at or could be most successful at. That just takes time. And then you got to get to know the talent and and not just say, you know, backstage, hey, how are you? My name's Eric Bischoff. Hey, I know who you are. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's get together and talk about your ideas. Okay. I got to get to, I got to get to a rehearsal. You know, that's not how you do that. You need to spend some time. At least I do. You know, maybe other people have different talents and they can, you know, look at somebody from across the room and go, okay, you'd be perfect at that. But I don't think that's true.
0: What were production meetings like for you? I mean, that's sort of what I, like when you were there, I I would always like kind of be at the back hanging out. I could see you at the front. I was like, what does Eric Bischoff think of all of this when you stepped in and just like how the shows are put together and how those production meetings are run?
1: I want to say this the right way. My first visceral reaction was this is a fucking waste of a lot of time you do not need all of those people in that, in one large meeting. And when you're going through a format, I don't give a shit. I don't need to know when a graphic is going to hit. The guys in the truck need to know that they should have their own production meeting and to spend two hours going over that stuff that you really only needed about an hour tops 45 minutes. If you're focused to get through and ends up tie up, all of that staff who are not doing other things that they could actually be doing that actually would make a difference.
0: And holding your pee for like hours on end. Oh, that's
1: the worst part. By the way, we worked on all that stuff during the week before we got to TV. It isn't like this is the first time anybody's ever seen this shit, right? So then you sit through that two hour, three hour production, whatever the hell it was. Oh, by the way, and while you're sitting there starving because you haven't had lunch yet, you're watching Hunter and Vince and, you know, pounding down filet mignon and sushi while you're all sitting there sucking down warm coffee in a fucking styrofoam <laughs> cup. No, I thought that was a real waste of time. And then what a here's rabbi. the best part. Everybody does get to eat lunch. They go off and start doing the things that everybody thought they were assigned to do at the end of that prolongated luncheon for the McMahon family and its extended clan. And then you find out, oh, shh, shh, We're tearing this shit up and we're going to start all over again at five (laughs) (laughs) o'clock.
0: Oh my God. The stress and the anxiety of like, Hey, what are we doing? What's going on? All right. We got a couple hours of showtime. Wait, the show's being rewritten. Okay, great. We'll sit and wait.
1: And we're not talking about just let's take this match and move it from segment three to segment six, or somebody got hurt in the back. So let's rebook another match and figure out a way to explain it. Make sense out of it. It's not that it's.
0: Yep, the old man's working on the show. Out. He's rewriting the whole thing by himself.
1: Renee, I don't know if you had this experience, but I, I was literally, there were times like 15 minutes before showtime and we're rewriting scenes.
0: We would be going out there to the commentary desk with nothing, with nothing. We would be waiting for Sweet to Mario to bring us our scripts so that we're like, okay, this is what's going on. But sometimes I enjoy that as like the performer side of me is like, all right, let's throw shit against the wall and see what's going to happen. But like- Oh my god.
1: Here's the other side of that. Because I'm grateful for that experience. I know it sounds like I'm, you know, slamming on them, but I'm not. I'm just telling the truth. And, and you ask me how it made me feel. I don't know that how it made everybody else feel. They may have dug it. They may have felt it was valuable. I'm just telling you from my perspective, because I kept thinking, what would I do if I was taking this over? First thing I would do is change this meeting format because we're wasting tons of freaking time. But let's be honest, it's working for them. Yeah. It's a tough formula for people to adapt to. It's tough for someone like me because of the way I think and the way I prefer to work. It's tough on talent, but it's working.
0: It works for them and people work under pressure. So you're right. It is what it is. There's times you're like, I feel like time could be managed a little bit better. We could be a little bit more productive with X, Y, and Z, but I don't know nothing.
1: I do know one thing. If Bruce calls me after this show hits the air and says, hey, do you want to come back to Connecticut? I know what the answer is going to be. <laughs> no
0: can do. Or it has to be for an astronomical sum to get you out of Wyoming.
1: I don't think this is enough money anymore. You can only be so happy with money.
0: Isn't that such a like, great spot to be in, to not be, you know, whether it's like a financial situation or not, but just to be like happy and content. I mean, what a luxury to have, right?
1: I've really grown into it. And, you know, I don't have a lot of money. I certainly don't have near the amount of money that the people who work for me <laughs> did. And I've had struggles financially. You know, I've, I've had hugely successful businesses that were for a long time and didn't work, you know, and, and I funded a lot of that stuff myself. But I've come out of it fine, financially comfortable. But at what point, especially because I'm at this stage of my life I'm 66 years old, I'm healthy as a horse. I'm probably healthier now than I've, I I was when I was in my forties. You know, I'm very, very active. I don't like hit the gym every day or anything, but I work out quite a bit. And I'm very active and I've got, you know, another 15 or 20 years of being as active as I am now, I think on my calendar, but I don't want to burn that time doing shit. I don't want to do even for a lot of money, because if I'm spending my time because I have a lot of money doing things that really don't make me happy, what's the use?
0: I feel like a lot of people have started to kind of come to that conclusion as well in the last like year or two with all the COVID stuff. People are like, I don't want to do the shit that I want to do anymore. I just want to like find the stuff that makes me happy and find a way to, whether that's paring down your lifestyle or moving somewhere that you want to move. I think people are very much so like, Let's find the things that make me happy and just stick to that. With big fights every week, there's never been a better time to give FanDuel Sportsbook a shot and join the action on FanDuel Fight Nights. Because right now, you can place your first bet risk-free. That's right, you're going to get up to 1000 bucks back if you don't win. FanDuel gives you so many bets to choose from. There's parlays, round props, method of victory bets, and so much more. FanDuel is the number one rated sportsbook app in America. It's incredibly easy to use. It's such a no-brainer. Plus, it's safe and secure and real quick, fast payouts. You get that money right back in your pocket. ASAP, one of my favorite features. You got to stay rich, you know, keep that money in your bank account. This app is so easy to use that when you win, you actually get paid in as little as two hours. So with FanDuel in your corner, you'll always get exclusive odds boosts, great promotions, and so much more to make your FanDuel fight night even more exciting. That is why they are America's number one sportsbook. So sign up with the promo code Renee to bet risk-free up to $1,000 on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. That is promo code Rene, Renee R-E-N-E-E. Disclaimer. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Or text next step to 53342 for Arizona, 1 800 gambler, or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1 888 789 7777, or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1 800 270 71117 for confidential help in Michigan. TN Redline 1 800 889 9789 in Tennessee, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. On the AEW side of things, what are the major differences you've seen between the successes of AEW and WWE, and what kind of things do you think that um, AEW should be implementing?
1: I don't think you can really compare them. It's not apples to apples. Obviously, AEW has been really successful over the last two years. They've gone from what's an AEW, is that like a plumber's union, to being a very, very uh, successful program in primetime television on a major network. That alone is a major, major accomplishment. But how do you compare that to the billion dollars a year that WWE is making and returning to the shareholders? They're two different things, you know? So I I don't want to compare them that way. I'll just tell you what I like about AEW. I've been saying for the last 15 years that WWE is too overproduced. It's too perfect. It's so perfect, it no longer feels real. I can't connect to it. In my opinion, this is just my opinion based on, I don't know, 30 some odd years of being in the industry. I think wrestling works as a television product, well, for a lot of reasons, but one of the core reasons, and wrestling has been around since the beginning of television time, it was one of the most successful network television programs in the beginning of television history. And the reason for that, and it's a lot of the reason why live sports works as well as it does, is it allows the viewer to feel like you're in the arena. You're not, you're sitting in the comfort of your home, but when live television, live action television, especially wrestling allows the home viewer to feel like they're in the cheap seats, not at ringside necessarily, but in those seats just above, you feel like you're there. And when you start feeling like you're there, it makes it easier for one to enjoy the story that's playing out in front of them or the characters that are playing out in front of them. AEW does a great job of creating that sense allowing the viewer to feel like they're there even when they're not. When I watch WWE, I feel like I'm in a movie theater watching it by the producers of Disney on Ice. It's too glitzy. Let me see something I shouldn't see. Don't shoot around every little imperfection. Don't spend quite as much money on all those lights because it's making me feel like I'm in a movie theater and not in an arena. I've never been in an arena that looks like that unless you're watching a wrestling event from WWE. I don't like that.
0: Speaking of shooting everything, what did you think about Seth Rollins being attacked by a fan the other day? We did get to see some of that on TV before they cut away. What a wild situation.
1: I've been on the receiving end of one or two of those. I felt bad for Seth. I also wonder why he didn't see it coming.
0: It looked like he was like right to camera, feeding to camera, and then the guy came like around the barricade, just hauling ass. I mean, I kind of get how he didn't see it, but, I mean, I, I can't believe that nobody else saw it. Seth has to worry about the camera.
1: The angle I saw was shot from a fan. Let me throw that disclaimer in there. But Seth was walking towards the back, and the guy was coming from Seth's 2 o'clock position to the right from about 15 yards away. Now, I think Seth had his head down because he thought everything was over and probably didn't expect so Hopefully he didn't expect it. I can kind of understand it, but here's what made it look bad for Seth. The guy takes Seth down. Depending on who you listen to, Seth was moving in for a choke. Security hit. There's bodies like 800 pounds of body everywhere. And then the, the three or four guys from security finally get this cat off Seth. And then Seth stands up and says, is that all you got? <laughs> That's, I, I, was, I was hoping we wouldn't see that on television because that didn't look good. Well, we didn't see that television, but we saw it after the fact.
0: It's also such a weird day and age, too, because if Seth had done something to the guy, I feel like the fallout would have been much worse.
1: And that's unfortunately true as well. in today's litigious society.
0: For sure. Yeah, it's easier to just be like, never mind. I'll like take this one on the chin and go to the back and, and call it a day. Because Yeah, I feel like if he did actually react and do something to the kid, it would have been like. Holy shit. I can't imagine the shit storm that he would be in for something like that.
1: Honestly, I think there should be a law passed, you know, in every major you know, city that has an arena that if you're a fan and you jump and you attack who's ever on the field, on the floor, on the ice, pick your sport and you go after an athlete, you should be like not be able to press charges against anybody for anything.
0: I 100% agree. Yeah. I, I, some, something needs to be implemented without question. Because, yeah, I mean how can the athletes be the ones in question for the retaliation on somebody coming to attack them? It's, it's pretty brutal. Um, all right. Pivoting back over to, um, AEW things. What kind of things do you think that Tony Khan should learn from WCW as he is continuing to build out AEW?
1: I don't think there's anything necessarily to learn. What's AEW called their number one show? Dynamite. Kind of like Nitro, right? (laughs) There's so many things about dynamite that I don't want to say it's not a ripoff, but there's a reflection of a lot of what made nitro work in the AEW product. You know, there should be things, you know, in the AEW product that work in WWE. Well, go ahead and take that too. I mean, there's basically seven original ideas on planet earth. Every other idea that's out there is a derivative of one of seven. Take whatever's good from whomever and figure out a way to make it your own and feel like it's your own and be successful with it. That's why I don't want to say derivative even of WCW, but I think there are elements of what made Nitro work that we do see in the AEW formula As I would expect there to be. I don't want to say worry because I got no skin in the game, but man, they're stacking a lot of talent and the nature of talent is they want to be talent. They want to perform. And there's kind of like this math formula <laughs> that says you have this amount of television and you have this amount of talent. You got to kind of fit this amount of talent into this amount of television. It's great to have backup and development talent and have those backup quarterbacks, if you will, that are ready to go in case there's an urgent you know, an injury or, 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 or contractual conflict, anything. You got to have backup. But there's a lot of talent there that I think a year and a year from half from now are going to go, well, I thought it was going to get an opportunity to be a star. And that can create its own kind of challenge. It has to be managed. I would really like to see a more structured story formula because I'm seeing a lot of the same flaws in AEW's approach to what is referred to as storytelling that really isn't in terms of its structure and its discipline. The only bad thing about that is it's leaving money on the table. You're, You're running through matches, but you're not throwing any story up on the wall that's sticking in a way that's growing the audience. That's the hard part. How do you grow the audience? Now, how do you satisfy an existing audience? That's called preaching to the choir. You want to expand the congregation and attract people that otherwise are not attracted to you. And the only way to do that is with great stories and great characters.
0: I don't know if it's like the, some of the storytelling, there's some, the intricacies of certain things, um, you know, like the hangman, Adam Page, him, him winning... The AEW Championship, I feel like there was so much storytelling in that, and there was definitely some minutia that if you're not watching week to week and paying attention to every little thing, it it might go over your head on what's going on. Um, I guess that's sort of the difference between WWE and AEW, where uh, WWE kind of beats you over the head with the storylines and giving you, you know, kind of jogging your memory on what's going on with everything, where I think AEW kind of moves so quickly with everything that they're doing, that it can be a little bit hard if you're not watching week to week to remember what exactly is going on.
1: Even to drill down into that, I don't think WWE beats you over the head with their storylines. I think WWE beats you over the head with narrative that's supposed to replace a storyline. A story has to create a certain emotion at a certain point within the arc of the story in order for it to be a true arc. Putting up matches from week to week to week and pushing a narrative to try to camouflage the fact that there isn't that architecture that hits those certain beats at the right time within the arc to create the maximum amount of emotion. No, what you're really doing is just telling the announcers what to say and covering whatever's going on in the ring with a narrative that you hope is going to stick.
0: Um, All right. I've got a couple more wrestling questions for you. And then I want to delve into a little bit of your personal life. Um, Where do you see AEW in five years?
1: I have no idea, man. I don't think anybody really has an idea, right? Television is changing so fast. Let's just assume for the sake of this question and this discussion, everything pretty much stays the same. Streaming platform, the relationship between current streaming and terrestrial television or cable television, everything stays the same. Based on what I can see, admittedly, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know what the larger strategy is. If there is one, I have no idea. I'm just sitting on the outside watching it like everybody else.
0: What about WWE? Where do you see them in five years?
1: If you would have asked me that question six months ago, I probably would have been able to answer it. But right now I'm leaning towards, I don't know, Disney World.
0: Do you think that they'll be bought?
1: Like I said, six months ago, we would have argued about this and I would have probably not budged off my position, but I'm becoming a little bit more open to the idea that it probably or could be at least partially true and and just look at the moves. And I also look behind the scenes, you know, it's like, Okay, we've all had this conversation in one way, shape, or form. What happens when Vince leaves? Whether he goes out on the job, which is probably the way he'd want to go, or just decides he's going to buy a yacht and go to Barbados. Who's going to step in that spot? Is it going to be Triple H? I don't think so. He would have already been there. Is it going to be Stephanie? Been there, done that? She's a mom now. Bruce Pritchard going to do it? Who's going to do it?
0: Nick Con gonna do it? Maybe Nick Kahn. No, will do it. No, no, it.
1: no, He's he's in and out, man. He's in to make a deal happen and move on down the road.
0: He's an agent at heart, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so you have been married for a very, very long time. What is the key to your success? This is very impressive.
1: What's the key? Well, for me, it was just sheer fucking luck.
0: <laughs> Good horseshoes up your ass
1: and I say that jokingly, but not, you know, because I was lucky to meet someone that had so many great qualities that I didn't have. And I had certain qualities that she didn't have. And I think it was the recognition of how we could each make ourselves better people and have fun in the process. That probably is it, you know, in a nutshell, and I don't want to make it sound like it was work or we, you know, we went to seminars and learned or anything. It really was whether a blessing or, or, or just good luck. One of these days, I'll tell you about how I matter, which is really funny.
0: I would love to hear that story. Well, no, I don't
1: think we'll do that. We don't know each other well enough yet, quite All right,
0: quite yet. well, we'll do a round two of this. It'll just be the love life of Eric Bishop.
1: She's such a better person than I am by nature. Like, I have to overcome things that, you know, I'm not necessarily proud of. She's just genuinely, you know, such a good human being. She's gradually worn off on me over time.
0: What are some of the things that you feel like you need to overcome? What are some of your like hiccups that you feel like you have as a person?
1: The one that I'm most proud of finally getting a little bit of a handle on is patience. I've never had patience. And because I'm by nature an aggressive person, you take an aggressive person that doesn't have patience and you break a lot of shit. And I've broken a lot of shit. So learning patience. And, and really, master, I don't want to say mastering, but attempting every day to be better at having patience has allowed me to use my inherent aggressive nature in a more constructive way because I'm not pushing through the room. I'm not blowing down the highway at 90 miles an hour because I'm in a hurry because I got to get somewhere. That's the, the adverse part of being an aggressive person. But now I'm aggressive, but in a very methodical way. And the odds of success generally go up because of it
0: a fairly patient person, but right now it's like having, I mean, I've got a six month old baby. We have, for some reason, just also got another dog. We have two dogs on top of that. It is a shit show over here right now. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God, it can be rough out there. Literally.
1: Okay. <laughs> Literally.
0: Okay. We were talking at the very beginning of the show about all the different jobs that you've had. So you have been uh, an actor, an actor, you can tell me which one of these are wrong too, because this is off Wikipedia and you said that they can be a, maybe not on point. Um, a landscape construction company, a veterinary assistant. You competed as a professional kickboxer. Is that
1: true? That was a long time ago. It was before, again, before UFC, there was a sanctioning body called the PKA or professional karate association. You know, they would have fights on CBS, Sports Spectacular, ABC wide rule of sports. They were regional. There were fights on ESPN. In fact, I think I fought on ESPN back in 79 or 80. can't remember which. But yeah, I spent quite a few years in martial arts and fought on the tournament circuit around the United States for about three years or so. When I got my black belt in 79, I kind of took it real seriously for a while. So yeah, I did all that.
0: I mean, it seems like you did all of these things to a, a fairly high degree. You said what you also trained animal? You trained dogs?
1: Well, that was a hobby. I grew up hunting and fishing and especially hunting, you know, bird hunting, pheasant hunting. And I've always loved it. And I, for a couple of years, I raised and trained German short hair pointers. And then, cause I had really high quality dogs that were bred specifically for that purpose. Uh, I would compete with them just because I loved it.
0: What do you wish that you had just like, was there something you wished you wish you just kind of stuck to, and that was what your career was?
1: I wouldn't change one thing, one thing, the good or the bad. I wouldn't change one thing Uh, in terms of what I chose to do. I, I, you know, it's like one thing always led to another. It's all kind of connected in a weird way. You know, I ended up in professional wrestling because of my kickboxing background, not directly. There wasn't a direct connection, but because I had a good friend of mine who was Japanese, he was the same age as Sonny Ono. You may know who Sonny is. We were the same age. I met Sonny while I was, traveling on a tournament circuit, competing in in martial arts. We got together one night, got drunk, talked about creating an action game called Ninja Star Wars, dumped all of our money into this game called Ninja Star Wars, had 5,000 of them manufactured over in Korea, had them shipped here to the United States. By the way, we had to beg, borrow, and steal every fucking nickel we used to buy those games. But we had them all shipped over here, and then we looked at each other and went, wow, this was a great idea. How the fuck do we sell them? (laughs) 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 So, so. I called Vergania because I wrestled in high school and in college a little bit. I did freestyle and Greco-Roman uh, for an AAU competition. And I knew Vern was a big supporter of amateur wrestling. So I called Vern up and said, hey, Eric Bischoff here. You know, I graduated Minnetonka in 1973. And, you know, I wrestled AAU against you know, Sweden, you know, last year. Because Vern actually promoted it on his show. And anyway, I said, hey, I got this idea. Can I come by and show it to you? And to my surprise, he said, sure, kid. Come on in. So I did. And I met Vern. I showed him my game. We came up with an infomercial. We sold the game, split the profits and he offered me a job all because of martial arts. So everything is kind of weirdly connected, right?
0: You are fascinating. I love that you have so many different interests and so many different things that you have like committed to and really tried to check out. And you, you know, you've had careers in so many different areas. What else do you have that you're working on? What other, um, what other irons you got in the fire?
1: Oh, a few. Working on a project with, uh, I don't want to say too much about that. I'm, 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 <laughs> Come on. No, but it, because I have, to be, I have to be sensitive to what my partners want to read or hear in social media. And it's not really my place to talk about certain things. It's up to the network or the studio, as the case may be. So I'm going to leave that stuff out of it. I'm working on a really, really fascinating gaming project with some really smart people. I'm excited about it because I'm learning shit every day, like coding and all of the things that go into really having a gaming engine. I'm learning all that stuff every single day. And I love learning new shit. I'm excited about that project. There's a rumor that I'm working on a new book. I'll neither confirm or deny it, but there's that.
0: How is the process of putting out another book right now?
1: If it were true, I would imagine if it's anything like my first experience, Controversy Creates Cash, number 17, New York Times bestseller.
0: Damn right it was.
1: What was that like? It, it was kind of a cathartic experience, you know, because so much of what's gone on in my career, I mean, the, the good stuff, that's always easy to reflect back on and, you know, remember, right? But there was some negative shit in there too, you know, a lot of it. And I tended to kind of just put that in a box and forget about it. But when you go through the process of writing a book, you have to kind of Go back and look at that. you got to pull that box out and kind of revisit it. But when you do it in the process, or for me in the process, if I were to be writing a book, it's different. I look at things more objectively and honestly, and therefore it becomes easier instead of just going, fuck it. I don't want to talk about that. No, I'm going to bring that up. Well,
0: at least you can do it on your own terms. Tell your own narrative and kind of dig into it the way that you want to look at it, whichever lens that may be.
1: I always believe you should always tell your own story. Otherwise, other people will tell it for you. And chances are, you'll come out okay. If you let somebody else tell your story for you, you're fucked.
0: Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining me here on the sessions today. And looking forward to all of the things that you're working on, the one that you couldn't speak about, the one that maybe is happening in the game.
1: Yes, that's a <laughs> thing to do. But I am excited about it. I got to check myself because I don't want you know somebody to call me and go, dude, we talked about this. We agreed we were going to handle things a certain way. Dude, what the fuck? And when I say to them, I'm sorry, I just got excited because I'm talking to people in a wrestling business and I get excited. <laughs> they don't want to hear it. So I promise I won't do that to you anymore. And next time we speak, I'll tell you all about how I met my wife.
0: I would love that. I, I love a good romance story. I'm all about it. I like to get to the bottom of things. So definitely next time. Uh- I don't
1: know if it was romance. Let's see. It. It's Ro lust, Part okay. romance, part lust. worked okay.
0: out. <laughs> Whatever works.
1: Yeah, and we were together for two years before that, so yeah, we're knocking on forty. Wow!
0: Good God, that's great. Well, hey, give her a big smooch and tell her we said hello. You're on. <laughs> All right, thanks so much, Eric. We'll uh, talk to you soon. All right, be well. Okay, bye. bye. A huge thank you to Eric for joining me. Yes, we are definitely gonna have to him back on so that he can fully confirm or deny this book that he's working on, this other new project that he didn't want to give us any details to. But like I said at the beginning, this man works on a bunch of different things and he fully leans into it. So I'm really excited to see what other things that he's working on. And I appreciate him coming on and being open and honest about his time returning to WWE and his thoughts on the wrestling business as a whole and where things are going and what those projections look like. Guys, it is so good to be back. I'm going to be on this microphone interviewing some of your favorite personalities, from wrestling, from film, from television, from the music world, whatever your little heart's desire, throw them my way. Bye.